0: Between a lockout with our youth on Friday night and um, the weather changing from summer to winter to summer to winter, my throat's, my throat's a little parched, so I may be drinking water. Turn with me to uh, the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians. You can find it after Philippians and before Thessalon- the Thessalonian letters. Since the last time that, um, that we heard from Colossians was in November, let me just, by way of reminder, share with you a little bit about what we said all the way back then. Right? This letter, the purpose of this letter is that Jesus is the all sufficient Savior. Over all of the other idols, over all of the other things that we would worship and put in His place, Jesus alone is is necessary. Jesus alone is sufficient. And we saw at the beginning of the letter how Paul gave thanks for the Colossians and what God was doing in their midst, how the gospel was growing like a tree. Having been planted, it was growing and bearing fruit in them and all over the world. And then he prays for their maturity. He prays, that they would grow by that same grace, that they would be strengthened, that they would be filled with all knowledge and wisdom so that they would know how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And as Paul continues in his prayer, he starts talking about their redemption. And our communicants class remembers from last Sunday what redemption is. Redemption is rescue by payment of a what? Anybody remember? Close. Ransom. right? Redemption is the rescue by payment of a ransom. And as Paul is talking about how Jesus has redeemed us, how he has brought us from darkness, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his Son, he starts getting excited and he starts talking about the Redeemer. And that's where we'll pick up. So let me pray and then we'll read verses 15 through 23. Father, would you open your word to us, teach us, fill us with all wisdom and understanding so that we would know how to walk in a manner worthy of you. Lord, help us to preach the gospel to ourselves. Lord, that we have been those who have been transferred from one kingdom to another. Lord, and as we focus on you, Lord Jesus, as we focus on you as our Redeemer this morning, would you create humble hearts? Would you bring us to worship? Help us to understand what we read and as we understand to be changed people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. First place. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now Reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts, to our understanding. Have you ever just burst out in song, right, maybe, maybe in the shower, probably while driving, All Right? you get excited, something makes you so happy, something so moves you that you just start belting it out, or maybe your favorite song comes on the radio and um, you kind of start screaming at the top of your lungs, glad that Nova, Nicole shaking her head, which means she's definitely done this, she did it on the way to church today. Right, screaming at the top of your lungs because, let's be honest, in the car, nobody sounds good. Um, Anybody ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Show of hands, Jerry Maguire. Okay, good, good. One of my favorite movies, and I'll I'll make it really quick. Jerry is a sports agent who loses all of his clients. And he has one hope. He has one prospective client left, and he has to fly out to Texas to meet him, and he meets with that client and his family, and he gets him so Jerry is stoked. He gets back in the car and is driving down this little Texas highway. And he's kind of singing with a song on the radio, but he doesn't really know it. So he kind of tunes it to the next one. Doesn't really know that one ever. And then, and then he hits Free Fallin' by Tom Petty. Everybody knows Tom. Well, most of you probably know Tom Petty. If you don't, it's a shame. But he just starts belting it out. And Tom Cruise could not carry a tune in the bucket if he tried. He sounds awful, but he does not care because he is happy. He is excited. He is moved. Well, that's what Paul is doing right here, right? As Paul prays for these people and talks about redemption, he cannot help but be moved to sing of their Redeemer, of his Redeemer, of our Redeemer. And here's what Paul sings about, right? You see on the uh, screen behind me, there are kind of two sections of this little poem that Paul writes here. First, Christ is the Lord of all creation, and he is also the Lord of our salvation. Now, realize that may not quite stir your heart yet like it stirred Paul's. I hope by the end that it stirs it a little bit more. But Christ is the Lord of all creation, and he is the Lord of our salvation, he is the creator, and he is the redeemer. And so let's break down, uh, let's look at what Paul says here about who Jesus is. All right, he begins by talking about Jesus as Lord of all creation, and he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And what that, what's, what Paul's doing there is he's actually going back to Genesis 1, right, where God makes man in the image of God. And man's responsibility as God's image is to be the governor of creation. He is meant to look over it. He's meant to expand the garden, to be fruitful and multiply and subdue and fill the earth. Man is on a mission. But man fails. The image of God fails. And as a result, when man rebels, all of creation goes into rebellion. Right? Adam fails. The image of God fails. And all of creation falls into rebellion against its creator. And yet here Paul is saying that Jesus now is the image of God, but he's no mere man. He takes it a step further by saying that that he is the one who has made God known, right? the image of the invisible God. Kind of like what John says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And if you skip down to verse 18 in John chapter 1, it says... No one has ever seen God. The only one, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Jesus comes in the flesh to reveal God so that we can see God. It also says He's the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean, firstborn? Well, the firstborn, and this is good news for me, right? The firstborn is the son of highest rank. He's the, he gets the priority. The inheritance goes to Him. Now, that's different for for us in our society now. Inheritance is split up among all uh, of the children. So the king's inheritance will be very small and portioned out. Um, The king, that king's not the king, God the king. Um, Right, the firstborn son was the one who had the rank. He was the chief. And that's what Paul is saying about Jesus here. Not that Jesus is part of creation, but that Jesus is Lord of creation. He has priority over and above creation. And that's made clear when we get into verse 16, when it says all things were created by Him, through Him, and to Him. All things means all things. That's why Paul gives that little description, whether in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible. That means everything that we can see, all the material things, and all the things that we can't see, the supernatural, the spiritual. And he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, these aren't a specific breakdown of angelic beings. Paul is just trying to hammer home the point that all of these things belong to Jesus. All of these things are created by God and ruled by Christ, by Him and for Him, for His glory. Creation was begun in Him, it continues through Him, and and it's to his purpose, for his glory that creation is pointing, okay? Now, why that's significant, why that would have mattered to the Colossians is this. All right, they, this was a, a Colossae was a Greek, uh, excuse me, was a Roman colony, and they would have been mostly Gentiles. They would have come out of a pagan background, and so they would have worshipped all kinds of gods, right? All kinds of minor deities some of these very things that Paul was talking about. They came out of that. They trusted Christ. But now they're under pressure. They're under pressure to compromise. They're under pressure to, to put Jesus in a blender and then pour in some other pseudo-spiritual religious stuff so that they can get the right mix, the right spiritual mix. Right? They're, they're under pressure to basically leave Christ to say, Ah, I... Jesus is not enough. I need more. I need to follow these rituals. Or I need to to go to Judaism. Judaism has the right rituals for me to follow. Or I need to worship angels. All of these things were pressing on the Colossian church. And what Paul is saying in this statement is, no, you don't. No, you don't. Christ alone. All the other things that you would try to add to worship, all the other things that you want to worship, that your heart feels pulled towards, All of those are created. Jesus stands above all of them, and he is using them for his glory, whether they know it or not. And that's significant to us because we're under the same pressure. Right? We, the the idols, have just changed names. Now instead, we worship money and power, sex, you name it. We worship those things. Right? We are, our hearts are pulled in that direction. Even good things, church attendance, religious affiliation, are good works. And Paul is saying, don't trust in those. Don't love those. Trust Christ. He alone is sufficient. Paul says in, in verse 17 summarizing what he's said so far, that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before, he created it, and in him all things hold together. He is keeping it going. He is sustaining it. Now, how do we apply that? Well, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of losing your job, or maybe you've already lost your job? and you're worried that there won't be enough, that there's a whole lot of months left at the end of the money, right? Maybe you're afraid of creation, right? We've, we've had a very interesting weather year already. Or maybe the world seems like it's spinning out of control. I talked with one of you this morning uh, who endured something very grave and serious this week, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem right. We need to know that underneath and around all of that, Jesus stands as Lord. He is Lord over His creation. He didn't just start it spinning and walk away. He holds it together by His power, and at the end will bring it all together for His glory. If you think about... um, I've never, done, I've never done this, obviously. I'm not, a, I'm not a weaver. But if you look at uh, when a tapestry is being weaved on a big, what is that called, a loom? Yeah. On the underside of it, it looks like a mess. Right? You can't really tell what the, what's going on. You can't tell what the artist is creating. But when it's done, and when you see it from the perspective of the Creator... Then you see that how it all works out. You see that Christ is painting is is painting a beautiful picture. That He is weaving a beautiful tapestry, and it will all be to glorify Him. No matter how painful, no matter how evil, God is reconciling, and that's really the next part. Um, that's the next part of the poem. Not just that Jesus is. Creator and sustainer, but also that He is the Redeemer, that He is the Reconciler. And Paul begins that section by saying, He is the head of the body of the church. That seems kind of odd. Why would Paul start there? Well, because we are the new creation. We are the people that God begins with. God Jesus beginning with his church is redeeming the world and we'll talk more about what that means in a second. but Paul wants to be sure that we understand that he is that Jesus is the head. What is your what does your head do? Well as my two-year-old son can tell you it does everything. we play, we play a little game where I, I, I blow on his neck and tickle him. And he says, I'm eating his neck. And so then he'll say, Daddy, eat my nose. And I say, Buddy, I can't eat your nose because without it, and he, now he, we've done it enough, and now he can finish it. He goes, You can't smell. And I say, and he says, Daddy, eat my eyes. And I say, Buddy, I can't eat your eyes. If I eat your eyes, he says, You can't see. And then he'll say, Daddy, eat my head. And I say, Buddy, I can't eat your head. And he goes, Yeah, because I can't do anything. Right? The head is what grows the body. The head is what directs the body. And this is this is something that's hard for us to understand in our democratic independent culture. We are not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. I might I might be like a knuckle or something, right? But I want to be the head of the church. Paul wants to be the head of the church. Buddy wants to be the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He grows it, and He directs it. And His preeminence is also seen in the fact that He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the beginning. 1 Corinthians 15 that tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, He actually declared His victory as God over sin and death. Those last enemies that stand between God and His, and his people, between God and His whole creation, sin and death, Jesus declared in, in His resurrection that He had conquered those enemies. And that because He has conquered them, we will conquer them. We will have a resurrection like His. We will get new bodies. We are the new creation. and He is the firstborn among many brothers. Right? He is leading many sons and daughters to glory. And He does that by the power of His resurrection. And all of this so that He would be preeminent. So that He would... Be seen to have the first place, the place that is rightly his. Paul goes on. And he says, For him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God delighted. Get this. God delighted to take on human flesh. Why? To reconcile to himself all things. It doesn't get any better than that. The creation is in utter rebellion against its creator. What does the creator do? He takes on flesh to reconcile it to himself. He says, I'll take care of it. I'll make it right. You can't do it. I'll do it. And he reconciles to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. If you're like me, if you're the the child of a divorce, then you know what it means, what, what alienation means, what estrangement means. You might even know what hostility means. That's how God... Until how Paul describes our relationship with God. Hostile, estranged, alienated. And because of those things, doing evil deeds. And God, instead of making war, makes peace. Through the blood of His own dearly loved Son, we are reconciled. That's why we think it's such a beautiful thing... When a husband and wife have been separ- separated reconcile, because it's a demonstration of what God did with us, He reconciled Himself to us through His Son. And I want to I want to stop right here. And, and this is this is a convicting thought for me as I, as I read this. But when it says that he reconciles to himself all things, that means that there is no such thing as a sacred and secular divide. And what I mean by that, there is is no territory that doesn't belong to the king. There is no place that the king can't go. And there is no place that the king doesn't want to reconcile to himself. So we as a church, me as a Christian, I've gotten very good at building up a wall between what is sacred and what is secular. Those places that are that are out there that can't be redeemed. That can't be touched. And Paul is saying It's all sacred, baby. None of it is left out. None of it is off limits to the king. No country is closed. No people group are not worth redemption. No industry, no part of culture, no area of politics. All of it belongs to Jesus. And if I can be frank, if I can be honest, the evangelical church has become kind of like a group of old men sitting on the porch in front of the store, lamenting the passing of the days gone by. Oh, if it was just like the good old days. That's not what God did. God entered into the story. He entered into the broken world. He engaged the brokenness head on. Not so that we could sit on the sidelines, but so we could be engaged in the work of redemption. So what is the issue that troubles you? Is it the disintegration of the family in America? Let me ask you, are you working with husbands and wives? Are you getting to know younger couples who need help? Is it homosexual marriage? Or so called marriage? Is that troubling to you? Are you engaging with any gay people to get to know them, to share Christ with them, in the hopes that they would be led to repentance and be saved and come out of darkness into light? Is it the welfare state? Do you lament that there are people drawing checks for doing nothing? Are you helping them learn skills? Are you, are you helping them to, to reconcile themselves to God and to understand that as creatures made in His image, they, can, they, they have a calling to work. They are, they are made by God to reflect His glory in work, in vocation, in calling. Are you stirring up people towards the, towards that? And I don't say that just to step on your own toes. I say it to step on mine too. Because I want to stay safe. I want to stay in the places that, that aren't broken. But we have a broken county. We have broken neighborhoods. We have people who are desperately in need of reconciliation. And Jesus wants to, delights in being reconciled. To his rebellious creation. May we. Take part. In that work. May we be willing to. Follow the lead of our God. And engage with a broken world. So as already read. We we share in the redemption. And I, I close with that. That we who once were alienated and hostile. Have now been reconciled. In the body of his flesh. By his death. For a purpose, to be presented holy and blameless and without blemish before Him. Uh, I quoted one of you the last time that I preached in Colossians. Uh, one of one of you is fond of saying, "I'm not a slave to that anymore," and I love that. We have been set free. And we have been set free for the purpose of being made holy. Did you ever think that was possible? That you would stand before God and that He would look at you, that He will, if you were in Christ on the last day, that He will look at you and you will be holy without any spots, that you will be upright, that you will be righteous. Because Jesus has saved you and because his Holy Spirit has made you that way. We have been saved so that we can be presented as a holy and blameless sacrifice before God. And Paul finishes, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Some have read this and said, well, then you can fall away. One can lose their salvation. Right? Here Paul says we have to remain in the faith. And I want to remind you that this same person wrote Philippians 1.6, which says, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it forward to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God doesn't start something and not finish it. So if you are in Christ, God will finish His good work in you and you will be presented as holy and blameless. What Paul is doing is not looking from the divine side. He's looking from the human side and saying, you've got to stay here. You've got to remain in the faith. Stable. Steadfast. And he's not saying, persevere by earning it. He's not saying, Try harder, do better. Because if he were saying that, then he just undoes the whole message he's been preaching, which is Christ alone is sufficient. No, Paul is saying that to, to remain in the faith means to remain in this continual cycle of repentance and belief, repentance and resting again and again, coming back to that old rugged cross until we finally get to trade it out for a crown. We don't leave the cross, we have to rest. Receive and rest upon Christ alone for his salvation. That's what Paul is talking about. Remain in this place of faith, stable and firm. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel. To try and earn it by our works, to try and earn our place by good works would be to shift from the hope of the gospel. It would be to swerve off the road. Paul is saying, this is the road. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. This is the road you've got to stay on. And if you try to justify yourself any other way, either by going back to your old Roman pagan gods or by going this way into Judaism, you're going to swerve from the faith. Lock on to Christ. Hold on to Him. He is your hope. He is your Redeemer. Now, for those, there, there are some of you here who don't know this song. Right? Who, don't, who don't understand what it means for Jesus to be Lord, not just of creation, but Lord of your salvation as well. You can't sing this song with Paul. At least not yet. And my hope is that God is at work in your life, and maybe today you've, brought, you've been brought to a place where you realize, I don't know Jesus like that. I need to be reconciled to him. I'm alienated. I'm hostile in my thoughts. I'm doing evil deeds. I need to be reconciled to God. I need to be reconciled to Christ by His blood. If that's you, if you want to sing Paul's song at the top of your lungs, then today is the day of salvation. Receive and rest upon Christ alone, and you will be reconciled. the church, don't depart from the hope of the gospel. Don't waver. Don't swerve. This is your hope. Christ is your life. He alone is sufficient. And engage in the work that he has called us to do. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you for the love. made salvation possible that from eternity past said, I will redeem my fallen world. I will reconcile my rebellious creation, my rebellious creatures, those men and women made in my image. I will reconcile them to myself. Well, we praise you for that salvation. The salvation that you have accomplished in Christ. That He took our penalty on the cross. That He bore our sin. That He was alienated from you. That He was estranged. He was cut off so that we could be rejoined. So that our relationship can be restored. Father, as a church, I pray that we would not depart from the hope of that gospel, from that good news. But rather that we would Engage the world. That we would long to see you, Lord, glorified in neighborhoods, in homes, in our county, in our state, in our world. Lord, that we would long to see our friends and our neighbors say, Jesus alone is Lord. Jesus alone is Savior. And Lord, we look forward to that day. One day, someday, when all will be made right, when the reconciling work is done, and we are and we stand before you holy, when you present us to the Father, holy, blameless, above reproach. May we be driven by that that hope, that future promise. We ask it in Christ's name.